1: Hello, once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City. First off, I'd like to apologize. Uh, I guess, apologize to anyone who was disappointed that we did not release an episode last week. Um, You know, I'm sure that everyone out there has been watching the news. Uh, The way things have been of late in New York, The unrest around me here in this city, which seems to be the epicenter of not only the coronavirus, and they love that word, epicenter, we also seem to be the epicenter of some of the most severe racial tensions and everything, so I just didn't, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys, I was not in the mood to record a podcast or talk about poker last Tuesday, uh, it was one of the biggest days of the protests. And I just felt like doing some activism instead. And, you know, I, we're not politics. We're not going to get into politics and how you feel about the police or anything like that on this podcast that is beyond the scope of what we talk about. But let me just say that basically, with everything that was going on, I just needed a week off and some time to. Focus on other things. Um, so normally we record on Tuesdays or Thursdays. And I already had had a trip planned to New Jersey on Wednesday. So I had planned to record on Tuesday. And then, well, you know what happened there. So I do apologize that we didn't have an episode. You guys are spoiled in that we basically release an episode each and every week. We've missed, I think, three weeks in the last 52 So uh, we're sorry that we didn't bring you an episode last week, but we're glad to be back in business this week. Um, Obviously, those of you who follow me on Twitter know this already, but I went to New Jersey to play in the WSOP circuit finale. I don't know what they're calling. They need to come up with a cute new name for every tournament series. There's basically been a big tournament series every single month. Uh, since, the, since the lockdown began. So I've been trying, as you know, to take advantage of that if possible. And the opportunity did arise for me to be in New Jersey last week from Wednesday to Saturday. And I believe it was Friday night that I had my big score. I had a few other caches uh, earlier in the week. The action is pretty good even in the higher stakes tournaments. Um, I do see a huge difference, obviously, between the $5 with rebuys and add-ons and the big tournaments that I was playing. Big, I don't know how big they are, but the highest available buy-in was, I think, $320 on the nights that I was there. And I basically played everything, everything that was worth playing. Uh, I was seated with my friend, Jesse Sylvia, who many of you know from all the commentary that he does. And also, of course, he was a November niner. I believe he got second place in the year that he made the World Series final table. Uh, Jesse and I are friendly. Uh, We were having some interesting, fun banter in the uh, chat. And in that particular tournament, I ran like God for the first two hours. And I mean, God, I think I flopped five sets in the first two levels, uh, one of them, and this is not a strategy hand, but just kind of a little anecdote that I wanted to share. I guess it's a little strategy component to it, if you will. Uh, in one of these hands, I was in the big blind holding pocket fours and Jesse had raised it up from early position and gotten, you know, I don't know, three or four callers. And the flop came seven. And I called from the big blind with pocket fours and the, and the flop came seven seven four with two hearts well, I figured I would just confuse everyone and lead out I flopped a full house <laughs> and just bet right out with it I bet something like a third of the pot and uh, Jesse who is going to have a really strong range here I don't know how well you guys know his game but when Jesse raises up from second position you know you're looking at, A very tight range. He's generally tighter than most of the pros on the scene. Not to say that he's nitty or a rock or in any way beatable or that I think that I have some kind of skill edge over him. But I would say, you know, based on last episode, his VPIP, especially from second position, is going to be in the teens. So that means you're looking at basically strong pairs, high pairs, uh, medium pairs, Ace-King, Ace-Queen, and not much else. Maybe the occasional suited connector or suited Ace thrown in for good measure. But I'm pretty sure he would be folding uh, pocket 5s, probably even pocket 6s, and certainly hands like King-Jack, King-Queen. He just doesn't seem to play those hands from early position. Uh, More of an old-school style. I know that nowadays, as we discussed uh, recently with... Jason Smith, Snostin, lost poker. A lot of players are playing a much wider range from early position, but it, from what I've observed, Jesse's not one of those players. Now, what's interesting is when you're playing on WSOP.com in New Jersey, you can't use your HUD, and the uh, the software does not save your hand history. You're able to watch the hand history after... Uh, right immediately after the tournament But you can't have it emailed to you At least not that I've been able to figure out And it doesn't appear that the hand histories themselves Are saved anywhere on my laptop So the hands that I want to bring today When we get to our strategy segment Will be from memory As, as best as I can recall From the, the big tournament So there may be a, a few uh, fudges, if you will but I know You know, everybody out there wants to hear about the tournament that I won. For those who don't know, I finished first place in a $100 tournament. I believe it had a $20,000 guarantee and first place paid something like $4,800. So it's pretty cool. Anytime you can bank something and win 48 times your buy-in, you should be very happy about that. Uh, yeah, they got like 130 players or something like that. So, yeah, uh, it went well. Anyway, getting back to this pocket fours hand. Sorry for rambling, guys. I'm used to having a guest, and now this week we have no guests. So it's just you and me, and I'm going to talk to myself, <laughs> and we'll see how it comes out. Uh, yeah, so I have the fours, and I lead right out with my full house. Jesse, with his tight range, raises, which you know tells me he's basically got jacks or better here. Uh, unless I'm so unlucky that he has pocket sevens, which I don't even know if he would raise. I I don't think he would raise in this spot. Um, But yeah, I think six of us saw the flop and a couple of the other guys behind me called, or behind Jesse, rather. I think one of them called and then the next one put in a raise. And this was like, I believe, the very first hand of the tournament, by the way. Uh, Well, when he raised... Now, I'm thinking he could have uh, a seven in his hand, right? So that would be great. I want him to have something like eight, seven or a seven and be willing to go broke, uh, putting me on a flush draw. The real point here is I don't think that anyone can put me on having a full house when I donk lead right into the whole field. But, you know, as I've mentioned a few times here on the podcast, the solvers that are getting better at figuring out how to play multi-way pots are telling us none of us are leading out enough. So I want to be able to lead out here when I flop a draw with 6-5 or maybe even a gutter with a heart like 8-6. I certainly want to be able to lead out here when I have a 7 myself. And I need to have, you know, some of those bluffs in my range So, of course, that means I can also lead with hands like, you know, really strong hands like pocket fours. Best of all, I don't block anything. So I'm not blocking the flush draw. I'm not blocking a seven. So it's great to have this particular full house in this situation. So, uh, yeah, just donk leading. I thought I might be able to get some action. Little did I know it was going to go Jesse raises, another guy calls, and then another guy raises. So I just went all in. It was crazy. I mean, uh, I think in this tournament, and this is the uh, the big tournament with, I think, a $320 buy-in. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have something like an M of 200 to start or something, something crazy like that. I mean, it was a really deep, deep stack. But I just shoved it all in and got called in three spots. Jesse called. Now, re-entries are permitted, so... That could be a factor influencing maybe Jesse's decision or some of the other players in the hand uh, to go ahead and, and get it all in, which, in what is now a very, very large pot, knowing that they could potentially end up being chip leader on the first hand, and if not, they can still re-enter the tournament. Now, personally, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I mean, yeah, it is nice. It's a luxury to have the option of re-entering the tournament. But remember when you do that, you have to pay the rake again. So it's not exactly some kind of free roll that you get to, you know, the more rake we pay, the, the worse it is for us in terms of EV. So it's not like the old days when rebuys weren't raked, even in the tournaments offered on WSOP.com that have rebuys and add-ons. They actually rake all of that, uh, you know, those of us that have been around for a while remember a time when the buy-in would have an entry fee and then the rebuys and add-ons would not. And now they, they're attaching a rake to every, everything. So I think it's important that you don't see the re-entry period as a, a free roll or just, you know, I don't care, I'm willing to buy in again. I think when they're going to rake it again, that really changes your uh, bottom line in the long run. The more rake we pay, the worse it is for us as players. So, uh, be that as it may, we ended up getting all in with Jesse holding pocket jacks. And I think that his play here is pretty defensible. Uh, No one should have started with worse than queens, kings, or aces. So unless somebody has a seven or pocket fours, Jesse's good here, and there are draws available, the hearts, uh, you know, the open-ender, all totally possible, as well as over pairs to the seven that can't beat Jesse's jacks. So I'm okay with his decision to go ahead and get all in, even though there's been a lot of strength shown in front of him. On hand number one of a tournament, you're holding pocket jacks, and you don't know your opponents, and the action in New Jersey... Well, actually, this tournament could be also be played in Vegas, and many of the players were from Vegas, including Jesse. Uh, it's totally fine that, that you want to get all in with your jacks here. Um, he happened to be up against it. I, don't, I will not always have a full house. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> when I don't lead into everybody here, I, I'm going to have a lot of worse hands than that uh, in my range. And then these other unknown players whose usernames we didn't recognize They could really have a lot of things. And they did. Um, One player had... So Jesse had jacks. I, of course, have pocket fours for the full house on 774 with two hearts. And the other two players who opted to get all in with us had flush draws. One had the, I think, the ace nine of hearts and the other the king queen of hearts. So they were both essentially drawing dead And Jesse was drawing to two outs. So, this is one of the best situations I've ever been in, and a first hand of any tournament I've ever played in my whole life. And it had a $150,000 guaranteed prize pool. So, that was very exciting. Hate to say it, but I didn't cash in that tournament. (laughs) So I triple, what do I quadruple up on the first hand and I still don't cash in the tournament. So uh, that's probably more a testament to my playing style than anything else I could say at this point. Uh, No, I wasn't that crazy in that tournament. I just, uh, I ran bad after that basically. And the stack went from, I was obviously first place after that, hand number one, and stayed in first place for quite a while and then when the blinds got bigger um, i needed to take some coin flips and some things that came up i don't really think i played poorly but it's hard when you can't review your hand history except right after the tournament so uh, i'd love it if somebody can tell me if it is possible to to get those uh those hands because i'd love to know to be able to review that hand and see what exactly went wrong I, know, I remember losing a lot of coin flips and getting rivered a couple of times and basically in tournament poker, that's that's all it takes for you to go from the overwhelming and I mean outrageously overwhelming chip leader. I mean, I think after that hand, I had 40,000 and the average stack was 10,000 and it, it was a very slow, uh, you know, for online, it was a pretty slow structure. So, but yeah, even after that, uh, I ended up, I think at some point, in level two, I had 70,000. So even after the very first hand, I continued to run like God in that tournament. So it's kind of crazy that I ended up not cashing, but it just shows that anything can happen. I mean, I don't care how big a stack is. I can find a way to punt it if I really try. <laughs> so, you know, that's that. That was one day. Um, and then, of course, I'm also you know, playing a few other tables at a time. Yeah, I've got some other smaller events going, but I'm paying a little bit more attention, obviously, to the the big one. Now, these events, if you win, you get a free seat in the Global Poker Championship or whatever they're calling it now. It used to be the National Championship, uh, basically for all the ring winners. And you also get that you know, not very coveted piece of <laughs> of jewelry, a circuit ring. No offense to anyone who might be listening who has a circuit ring, but there are a lot of circuit rings out there at this point. So I feel that the uh, prestige of that is somewhat diluted and, uh, you know, some of the rings are not that hard to win. Same is also true, by the way, for the World Series of Poker bracelet, which brings me to My next topic Uh, this week, of course, they released the schedule and the news that GG Poker, the one that uh, I did some commentary for on Cinco de Mayo with my friend Joe Stapleton. I mentioned that uh, on the podcast before. I hope you guys have had a chance to watch that because it's pretty funny doing tequila shots every time pocket fives won a hand on Cinco de Mayo was a good time for sure. But yes, GG Poker and WSOP.com will be offering bracelet events starting next month, July. So obviously that means another trip to New Jersey for me. I intend to be spending a lot of the summer in New Jersey. So basically, you just you change what I would normally do in the summer from beautiful, sunny Las Vegas, Nevada to uh, quaint, uh, bucolic, New Jersey, the Garden State. So I expect to be uh, across the river quite a bit in the next six to eight weeks. The schedule came out and there will be 85 uh, bracelets awarded this summer in this online World Series of Poker. Uh, The poker community at large seems to be pretty unhappy about the number of bracelets that are going to be up for grabs online especially when in the American version only people in two states can play i believe it's only Nevada and New Jersey where these games are even going to be offered so you know for for someone to be able to win a bracelet playing against only two states in America when throughout history bracelets have been awarded to players from all over the world competing together. It does feel a bit diluted. Uh, In their defense, I'm not really sure what else they could have done. Whatever. It's just, it is what it is. And I hate that expression. But in this case, I don't know what else to say. Coronavirus happened. So if Major League Baseball comes back, which it's actually looking less likely than it did a week ago at this point, um, if NHL, NBA, if any of these things happen, even the NFL... They're going to be different than we remember them. There might be fewer games. There won't won't be people in the the stands. Who knows? So they're trying to somehow capitalize on the brand and on the fact that people love to play poker in the summer and they're doing what they can. It's not the World Series' fault that the government only allows them to exist in two states. So... Whatevs, you know, if somebody wants to, if I win one of these bracelets and somebody wants to put an asterisk next to my name, like Roger Maris, uh, I'm all for it. You know, that's fine. (laughs) Go ahead. I'll take the asterisk and we can all just say that one doesn't really count. You can call himself a bracelet winner, but he didn't actually have to compete against all the best players in the world to win it. So, I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, most of the events are guaranteed. I think all of them are actually with some type of guarantee. And we'll see how how that goes, how big the uh, prize pools end up being, The how many players end up registering. Obviously, we've never done this thing before. Now, there are always, you know, since WSOP's inception, there have been online bracelets. Um, but they're generally... While everybody's already in Vegas, so you are getting people playing on that website that don't live in those states, but they're there because they're already there for the World Series of Poker. Are people going to travel to New Jersey like I do? Or, or are they going to still make plans to be in Nevada during the WSOP this summer to play in these online events? I really don't know the answer to that. Time will tell. All right. So let's talk about a couple of the hands that I played in the tournament that I won. So spoiler alert, I won, I won this tournament. So <laughs> uh, we know that if I'm all in, I'm going to win the all in. So therefore I picked two hands in which I'm not at risk. So you guys will still have the suspense factor of Did he win the pot or lose the pot? I think these are two pretty interesting hands. Uh, The first one comes from about halfway through the tournament. So this wasn't a huge field, this tournament. And this was not a bracelet or a ring event, by the way. So I'm not qualified for the global championship. I was playing simultaneously in another tournament where, uh, had I won that one, I would have won a lot more than $4,800, by the way. And I also would have my uh, circuit ring, uh, whatever. This one was going on at the same time. I think they even started around the same time. But this event was a $100 buy-in, which I believe is 91 plus 9. So little less than 10% rake. Um it attracted 129 players, to be exact. And at this point in the tournament, there were 60 players left. And again, these numbers are somewhat fudged because I don't have the hand history. But I do remember the important details of these hands quite vividly. Um, I was in about 25th place out of the remaining 60. Only 20 players paid uh, the average... Stack was around twenty thousand uh, 20,000 chips and we were doing fine with 33,000 chips so obviously 33 big blinds M of 16 there's 2400 in the pot and it's folded to us in the cutoff and we have the ace King off suit ace of clubs King of Spades so it's folded to us and I make. A little raise here. I think it's pretty uncontroversial to open Ace King from the cutoff. I make it twenty three hundred, so two point three x. I think it's also pretty standard. Um, I'm going. I don't want to do a min raise here because I want to get the pot a little bit bigger uh, in case I flop an Ace or a King, and I can kind of have a an easier SPR. It's hard to predict how many callers you're going to get going to get, but you know, generally considering that. Most tournament flops are seen two- or three-handed, and this one's already been folded to me in the cutoff, so I think making a 23 sets up a pretty good SPR for if I happen to flop top pair with this. Uh, I'm called by the button, who has been uh, a real thorn in my side. He's probably the best player in the tournament. I don't want to give his screen name here, but anyone who saw it would probably know exactly... Uh, who he is if they play on WSOP.com. I believe he's been in every tournament I've ever entered that was $50 or more on WSOP.com, so he's on there all the time. Um, He's an excellent player. He's tough. He has good instincts and good ranges, and uh, his calling range here could include a lot of hands. So uh, I'm not happy that he called. But I am happy to have ace-king, even though I'll be out of position against probably the best player on the website. At least one of them. Okay, so the blinds fold, and we see a flop heads up with 7,100 in the pot. Now, this opponent has only 26,000 chips. So his M was 11, and he just flat called uh, pre-flop. It's a little bit... Tough to know what to make of that. Many players with this kind of stack size would be in a three-bet or fold mode unless they are slow playing a monster. So I have to fear the monster, but not necessarily put him on one. Okay, so the effective stack size is 23,700. So the SPR is just over three. And the flop comes, jack of clubs, Seven of spades, deuce of clubs. Hero holding the ace of clubs, king of spades. So jack seven, deuce with two clubs, and we have the ace of clubs. So we flopped a backdoor flush draw with two over cards. Also a backdoor straight draw. Not exactly a total miss. Um, there are some jack high flops that I won't see bet. This is one that I will see bet probably close to 100% of the time. The reason why is my opponent is unlikely, unless he's slow playing a monster, which we did say he could be, uh, he's unlikely to have hit this flop. I don't know what hands he would have that have a jack in his range. Um, He could have ace jack or queen jack, but I think that is actually better to... 3-bet with ace-jack against me and fold queen-jack because it's just too often dominated. Obviously, jack-10 should be in the muck as well. So I think it's unlikely he has a jack. Also, in this particular situation, I have the ace of clubs, which means that he is less likely to have a flush draw himself. So I I like... C-betting on jack seven deuce. And I put in 3,000. I could go smaller, but I actually don't mind building uh, the pot a little bit here. I can. There are so many cards that I can double barrel. Any queen, any 10, uh, giving me a straight draw. Any club, giving me a flush draw. The nut flush draw. Obviously, any ace or king, giving me what's almost definitely going to be the best hand. Uh, so there are so many... Turns I'm going to bet and win. I don't mind building a, a slightly bigger pot. So you could down bet. You know, the pot is 7,100. You could down bet to even 2,000 or something if you want to here and get some folds from hands that totally missed. I mean, I guess if, if I'm in villain shoes holding something like pocket fours, you know, the, the C bet is is 2,000. I don't think I want to call. I mean, I guess you could, but there again, that's the kind of hand where you're going to call and then have to fold to a second barrel on the turn. So uh, I expect to win the pot a lot. I see bet it's 3,000 and he called rather quickly and the pot was, at that point, 13,100 with his stack, the effective stack at 20,700. So he's got about... 1.5 1.5 times the pot remaining. Uh, the turn was the queen of clubs. It's one of the best cards that doesn't pair me. I now have a gut shot and the nut flush draw and two over cards. So I've got basically a lot going on. If I choose to see bet this flop, I absolutely need to fire again on this turn. Now the problem is my opponent's getting somewhat short, so I can't put in a really big, bet unless I want to call a shove so I bet 4500 now if my opponent happens to shove I'm going to be in a really tough spot because I do have so many outs but I'll also know that I'm behind but at least I give myself the option you know if I bet 8000 or something here on the turn I think that I will just have to snap call and hope that I draw out so Instead, I bet small and hope that he doesn't raise at all. And I was happy that he just called. So now the pot is 22,000. The effective stack is 16,000. So he's got about 75% of the pot left in his stack. And the river is the nine of spades. For a final board of Jack. 7, deuce Queen, 9 with 3 clubs so we missed we still have just ace high here on the river and I think that we have now reached the important decision the inflection point of the hand you know we're not that close to the money there are 60 players left he's still got to get through 40 more to get to the end Uh, it's hard to put him on a hand What calls the flop and the turn? At that point, I think, unless he's slow playing a monster, which I think is unlikely, by the way. There are just too many draws available now. If he flopped a set, I think he absolutely has to raise, get all in with me here on the turn and just hope that I don't have a flush. So it feels like he hung on on 4th Street with something like Ace-Jack, maybe King-Jack, but it really feels like a jack. Now, it could be Queen Jack, but again, I think that that hand should have folded. It just feels like he's got a one pair kind of hand a lot. I think most of his range is going to be a one pair hand that's trying to pot control. So, if I think that my opponent is trying to pot control and I don't think I can win by checking, then the question becomes should I bluff? Should I turn Ace King into a bluff? I mean, obviously, I have some kind of showdown value, I suppose, but I don't know what called twice that can't beat Ace-King. So I decide to put him to the test. I bet his remaining stack, 16,200, and he tanks. So I start seeing his time bank. They give you 60 seconds on your time bank, not counting the whatever, I think, 10 seconds that you always get. So he's timing. he's, He's really in the tank here. It's down to 40, it's down to 30, it's down to 20. And I'm just sitting there like, come on, fold, fold your hand. y'all." You know, if I can win this hand, I'll probably be in the top 10 in chips. It's a pretty big pot at this point. Uh, he, with about 12 seconds left in his time bank, he called with king, queen, king of hearts, queen of diamonds. You know, I don't think that my opponent played this hand very well at all. It worked out for him, obviously. (laughs) And at that point, I was the short stack in the tournament with 59 players left. I don't want to be sour grapes and say that he didn't play well, but I don't really understand his flop call. I know that the solvers will tell us that we do need to call sometimes when we flop two overcards, but not having a club in his hand, I think, makes this a fold. You know, I bet 3,000 into 7,100 on the flop and... He is so often going to make a pair on the turn with a club, which is exactly what ends up happening. And he will sometimes be drawing dead. You know, if I had ace king of clubs, which I could easily have, I had ace king offsuit. I could have had ace king suited, right? Uh, and this would have cost him his entire stack. It just doesn't feel like a good spot for a float. Um, he, hit, he hits a miracle card. To suck out on ace-king with king-queen on the turn. And still doesn't know exactly how to play it. Because it's a club. Uh, He eventually arrived at the right decision. And I think that this player is good enough to know that. If he can't call with king-queen. Then he just doesn't have enough bluff catchers in his range. And I think that's probably the thought process that he went through. He really needs to call. With top pair here because. I could have just the bare ace of clubs as I do, and I might even have some other bluffs in my range. Now, it's possible that his call on the flop was a float, just to see what I happen to do on the turn and look to take the pot away on a club if I check, which is fine. That's a perfectly fine strategy. The problem for him is that the exact card that came was a club that also gave him top pair. So all in all, I think it's just better to call when you have a club in his shoes right and fold your king queens that don't have a club because you will so often be behind and as a matter of fact my opinion of him as being one of the best players on the site actually changed after this hand the more i think about it the more i hate the way he played this particular hand the problem is i've seen him play so many other hands really really well that this one might have just been where he was on his B game. None of us play our best all the time, but this was a really good player who played a hand pretty poorly and ended up winning a lot of chips (laughs) with it. (laughs) And by the way, I I like my play here. Um, I think that bluffing with with the ace of clubs is really important. It's just so unlikely that my opponent has a flush. All right, so let's fast forward. Uh, Still before the the money bubble has burst, but there are 28 players left. Remember, 20 getting paid, and I made a miraculous recovery. After that hand, I was 59th out of 59, and now I moved all the way up to third place out of 28. So it was uh, quite a run of good luck and also just exploiting some of the really bad players that play the, uh, the $100 tournaments on WSOP.com in New Jersey. Um, long story short, I ran good after that failed bluff and joined the uh, ranks of the chip leaders with 28 players left. Now, one of the worst players I've ever seen on the internet, uh, a maniac, I guess, is the best way to describe this player, he pips probably around 75%, maybe more. Um, very loose aggressive. Check raises way too much. Um, he's just wild. He likes to try to get all in every hand. He opens. Oh, the blinds are 1500 3000 and there's a 300 ante paid by each player. Uh, my stack is about twice the average. It's at 90,000. So I have 30 big blinds and my M is 14. So if you haven't guessed, by the way, this tournament was a turbo. <laughs> so this maniac I just described opens from middle position to 6,000. So he clicks min-raise and we are, it folds to us on the button with two sixes. So we've got the pocket sixes. You can certainly three bet here and with him being so wild and so loose and having such a wide range, you could actually make a case for getting all in here. Uh and I will do that sometimes, but I would rather just, you know, kind of preserve my stack because just because he's a maniac doesn't mean he can't have anything. And it it makes a lot of sense for me to just call here and play a pot in position against a player against whom I have a substantial skill edge so I just call the blinds fold and with 20,000 in the pot now my opponent has a shorter stack than mine he's got 78,000 to start the hand so he's down to 72 now Uh, so that's our effective stack so the SPR of 3.5 the flop comes king of diamonds 8 of diamonds deuce of clubs and we do not have the six of diamonds so we have pocket sixes on king eight deuce now our opponent checks to us and i i believe this decision is not as cut and dried as it may appear as i mentioned this player is wild so just because he checks doesn't mean he's ready to give up on the pot he does all kinds of crazy things Um, Do we want to go, go to war with pocket sixes here? So we have to balance between knowing that our hand is probably good, especially when he checks, and the likelihood that we'll end up folding. So against a player like this, I don't think we should fold our sixes, no matter what happens here on the flop. That's if we bet. So that's my plan. I bet 8000 and expect it to usually win the pot. I bet 8000 into 20000, kind of telling my opponent, "I have something. If you have nothing, you should fold." I didn't bet really small. I don't go for a down bet against a player like this because they love to pounce on perceived weakness, and I don't really want to make this tough decision. Even though I kind of made it already by having a plan for the hand, just because you have a plan for a hand doesn't mean that you <laughs> have to stick with it. So I still have my whole time bank to chicken out. Uh, but I bet 8000 and he does check raise to 22000 So what should his checking range look like? Uh, well, well, let's ask a better question. What do we think his checking check raising range looks like? Well, I don't think that he would check uh, a pair of kings or even a pair of eights. I think that all of those Hands would have most likely um, bet. His one pair Hands would have bet, continuation bet, the flop. And that's from observing him and just knowing players like him. Uh, They don't like to give free cards to players that they always worry about the flush draw. Uh, He could check raise with a hand like pocket kings, pocket eights, pocket deuces. So if I'm up against a set, I'm drawing dead, basically. So that's the worst case scenario. Um, Sets are rare but they do happen, and this line is consistent with how my opponent would would play a set. The problem for us right now is that it's also consistent with how he would play any two diamonds. I think that my opponent would play queen-jack. Sure, why not with the queen of diamonds? You know, he has a backdoor <laughs> flush draw. And he would check-raise with it. Like, that's how wild this player was. So I'm telling you all this because it's the rationale behind my decision to move all-in. How many times in your life have you flopped king eight deuce and you have pocket sixes? So you flop a pair lower than middle pair, get check-raised, and get all-in. Uh, I could probably count on one hand how many times this exact scenario has come up in my entire career. It's really exploiting this player's tendencies. I think that his range is so wide that if he has a king and played it this way for some reason, or if he has a set, I'm in trouble. Otherwise, I'm actually ahead and doing fine. Also, I have fold equity. I don't think he's going to call a shove with Queen-Jack, with the Queen of Diamonds. Um, He might even find the fold with Ace-Queen, with the Ace of Diamonds. And I think he should because that hand is always behind and could be far, far behind a lot. Now what he should do and what he does do, you know, this player, I have so many notes on this player that I was really actively trying to get into pots with him You don't really see players like this very often on ACR or other websites that I visited. (laughs) This is a, uh, a New Jersey phenomenon, players like this. So I get all in, so I kind of push and pray. I'm hoping to not get called, but even many of the hands that will call, I am ahead of with my measly pocket sixes. But I'm really hoping for a fold here because whatever he has, he's drawing quite live against me, right? Well, he calls with the queen, 10 of diamonds. So he has queen of diamond, 10 of diamonds for the uh, flush draw. And we managed to hold. So it's basically a coin flip because he has 15 outs against my hand. So uh, that's not the hand I wanted him to have there. But again, his range is so wide for check-raising that folding sixes is just... If you're going to fold your sixes just because you got check-raised, then you're probably better off playing them aggressively pre-flop. So because I chose to play it slow pre-flop, I need to be a lot stickier and more committed with uh, such a m- measly medium pair in this scenario. So obviously... That could have gone either way. It's a coin flip. And I'm lucky that it wasn't a set. I'm also lucky that it wasn't pocket sevens because part of his calling range could actually include hands like pocket sevens, pocket nines. Obviously, pocket eights made a set. But yeah, he does have a lot of calls, even when I'm showing so much strength and putting him all in on the bubble to the test. Um, Not the exact bubble, 28 players left and 20 got paid. So his stack was, you know, above average. He had no reason to try to go broke. But I'm glad he did because winning that pot gave me the chip lead. I do remember some other hands I played in this tournament, but these were the kind of the two key hands that stuck out to me, even more so than uh, the heads up, which lasted quite a while. I think heads up was like 60 hands which is a really a a huge number. Uh, We were relatively deep heads up. I think my M was 18 heads up. So, um, And we were pretty even in chips. At one point, though, I think on hand five of heads up, I got all in with Ace jack against my opponent's king-queen suited. And if I could have just won that, then heads up would have lasted like six hands. (laughs) But he sucked out on me. But yeah, it was fun. You know, I live for final tables. I love trying to win first place in tournaments. And so my mentality is obviously go for it. If I think I have the edge, I'm going to get all in. You know, I don't really pay a lot of attention to ICM. As I've mentioned many times on the podcast, I don't pay as much attention to it as I should. It's something that I work on and that in theory I know is important. But when I'm in a situation where I think I have a spot where I can get a big stack. I don't know guys. I just go for it. come what may. it worked out for me this time and that's gonna do it for this episode. I want to thank you guys uh, for all the love that you've been showing on Twitter um, when I posted the uh, screenshot of you know you won first place in this tournament. I feel like you guys were really genuinely happy for me and, and cheering for me and it's just nice to play knowing that. Uh, so so many of you are, are rooting for me with that in mind I'm going to spend some of these winnings on a new laptop one that can handle twitch and so you can expect to see me out there in the twitch streets as killing bird likes to say in the very near future so that'll do it for this episode thank you guys for all of your comments and most of all for everyone here at tournament poker edge thank you all so much for listening
0: Hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Luck and intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart With her heart there we will be. While little gambling is fun when you're with me? I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa. Oh. Well get a heart. Show her.